This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate. And this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. The now decidedly conservative Supreme Court has been the front lines for the past few months as they decided a series of very important cases and set themselves up for more landmark decisions in the next term. Each July, ADL, together with the National Constitution Center, hosts the Supreme Court Review to take stock of the term that just ended. Thousands tuned in for this year's virtual version, and here to describe this year's panel discussion is Steve Freeman, ADL's Vice President for Civil Rights. Welcome, Steve, to From the Frontlines. Thank you, Scott. Pleased to be here. So, Steve, I gave a very basic description of the Supreme Court Review. Tell us more about it. Sure. Uh, this is the 22nd year we've had the Supreme Court review. It's always the beginning of July after the Supreme Court term ends. We, this year we featured uh, Dahlia Lithwick of Slate as our moderator with four very distinguished constitutional scholars, Erwin Chemerinsky, Paul Clement, Melissa uh, Murray, and Fred Lawrence, talking about the Supreme Court's term and the cases. Um, they focused particularly on cases in which ADL participated as amicus curiae, as friend of the court, uh, and give, give a, an overview that we offer for CLE credit to you know, a fair number of states around the country. And we, this year we were pleased that we had uh, over 4,000 people participating in it. Over 4,000 people. Uh, that, that's incredible. And I know it was also recorded. Uh, we'll get to those details later, but, but others can, uh, can watch it many more. So uh, many cases were discussed, but since our time is limited, maybe describe what I might call those ADL cases, the the cases for which ADL filed uh, an amicus brief uh, because of the close connection to our mission? Sure. Um, One of the cases that I think that was particularly important was a case called Fulton versus Philadelphia. This was a case brought by Catholic Social Services after the city of Philadelphia told them that since they were getting taxpayer funding to help place children in foster care, that they could not discriminate against same-sex couples applying to be foster parents. Uh, in this case, like the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, your listeners may remember from a few years ago, the freedom of religion claim was at odds with an anti-discrimination law. They deal took a position in this case that Philadelphia should be allowed to enforce its anti-discrimination provisions because this was a city-financed program. But the court ruled in favor of Catholic Social Services. However, it was not the sweeping victory that many were concerned it could have been. Uh, existing law says that Laws that specifically target religious groups are not good, but as long as a law is neutral on its face and generally applies to everyone, religious agencies have to comply with it. It seemed like this should apply to Philadelphia's law, but the court here determined it was not entirely neutral because there was a provision in the contract that allowed the city to grant an exemption exemption to a particular applicant. The bottom line in that case was that this was not the court saying religion always wins over non-discrimination. But that's the general trend, and the trend is worrisome. I think it's a, a slippery slope, as, as I think was, was mentioned in the panel discussion. You know, what, what is religion? Which religious doctrine can, can hold? I mean, anybody could sort of step forward and say, you know, we, we're an organized religion, and this is what we believe in, even if it goes against the sort of societal norms about discrimination or, or laws. Uh, there, there, there has been a question, a trend of, for the last several years in the courts of giving religion preference over other kinds of rights, um, which is not really what the Constitution uh, intended. The Constitution intended to keep religion and state separate. 
but not to say religion should get some sort of preference. Okay. Well, what were the other cases? Uh, the second case was a case commonly referred to as the, um, the, the vulgar cheerleader or the cursing cheerleader. This was a case called Mahanoy Area School District versus BL. I love when Dahlia uh, called the, uh, the facts of this case uh, delicious. <laughs> right. Um, this was a, a high school cheerleader who made a rather vulgar social media post on Snapchat when she learned she hadn't made the team, the cheerleading team. She made the post off campus outside of school hours, but word of it got back to the cheerleading coach uh, because somebody took a screenshot of it and shared it with the coach and, and, uh, and BL of the cheerleader was suspended. ABL took the position in the case that students have free speech rights outside of school as long as their speech doesn't involve bullying or harassment or threats. And BL's speech in this case did not. The court agreed with us uh, and the case has been widely seen as a noteworthy pro-free speech decision. The first one, actually, in a while involving students. Uh, obviously very important with so much speech happening on social media and not actually on school grounds. Right. Uh, okay, what was the next one? Uh, next one is a case called Bernovich versus DNC, the Democratic National Committee. This was a major, perhaps one of the most important cases of the term in terms of its long-term consequences. This was a voting rights case. Uh, Dealing with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, that section prohibits voting practices and procedures that discriminate on the basis of race, color, or membership and language minority groups. And in this case, the lower court determined that two Arizona voting practices related to third-party ballot collection and out-of-precinct votes violated Section 2. The court held in a 6-3 to three vote, this was a conservative 6 conservative justices uh, in the majority, that these practices did not violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, even though there was evidence presented that they clearly did have a discriminatory impact, especially on Hispanics, Native Americans, African Americans. There was a blistering dissent uh, written by Justice Elena Kagan and joined by Justices Sotomayor and Breyer. And, and, and in that dissent, she said the court majority was taking the teeth out of the Voting Rights Act calling the act an extraordinary law. Uh, Justice Kagan said the majority undermined it by giving a cramped reading to broad language that Congress intended to address electoral rules that had the effect of unnecessarily creating inequalities of access. And the result, unfortunately, will be will be make it much more difficult to challenge restrictions on voting that particularly burden marginalized communities. It really is... Um, they, they have really, between this case and another one called Shelby County a few years ago, taken the teeth out of the Voting Rights Act in a, in a very significant way. Uh, and it's, it doesn't bode well for, um, for some of the voter suppression laws that we're seeing around the country that a bunch of different states are, are, have passed or are considering making, looking to make it harder to vote, particularly for, for minorities. And, and that's, a, that's a very um, discouraging turn of events for ADL and for others who, who believe that uh, voting is one of the most important and core uh, rights in a democracy. Okay, so uh, we have a series of very important cases here. And what do the decisions in these cases say about the Supreme Court at the moment? I think these decisions, well, this, this term was, some people, apart from the Voting Rights Case Act decided on the last day, some people were expecting more sweeping decisions this term than the court gave us. Uh, there were not as many six to three conservative, conservative majority decisions as, um, uh, 
or anticipated. But I think I think we're heading into what is likely to be a, a much more uh, a much more um, significant term in terms of major cases on on issues like like gun rights and like abortion and perhaps like affirmative action in the next term, where we will really see the the conservative six justice majority. Um, hold sway in a really significant way. I think this was sort of a transitional term. We saw at the beginning, uh, you know, with the loss of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and then the appointment, the nomination of, of Amy Coney Barrett. So this was a court in transition. This was this was Justice Barrett's first term, and she wasn't even uh, there for the whole term because she joined the court after the term had started in the fall. So I think they were kind of feeling their way. Some of the decisions, like the Fulton case I mentioned, was a narrower decision than than many people expected. Other decisions, they, they, for example, on the Affordable Care Act, they just said there was no standing to challenge it, so they did not get into a, a decision on the merits on that. So it, the, the, the trends lines, at the beginning of the trend lines, trend lines are there for more conservative majority taking hold, but, um, but we will see more um, as it goes forward. But I want to mention one other thing, Scott, about the term. There were some noteworthy cases that were part of what's called the shadow docket, cases where someone seeks an injunction against a particular action and the decision is challenged. And these are cases that get to the court without full briefing and without oral argument. The court just says yes or no, um, no, they can or they can't, um, but the, the injunction will stand or it won't stand. And there were some cases that were relevant because of COVID. For example, houses of worship that challenged state limitations on the size of in-person religious services because of COVID. Um, Ordinarily, the First Amendment would, would um, the religious freedom right, would prevent a state from interfering in such decisions. How many people can attend a, a religious worship service? Unless there's a compelling reason. But this past year, um, there was a sense that uh, public health and safety would typically be considered a compelling reason. Uh, and some states concluded they can be limited. But the court um, said, no, you can't treat religion any worse than anybody else public health reasons notwithstanding. Steve, we are uh, running out of time. You've given the listeners a really quick overview of an incredible event. If they want to watch the full panel, how can they do so? They can find it on ADL's website, www.adl.org backslash Supreme Court Review. Great. And thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Steve, uh, not only for being on the show, but for all the extraordinary civil rights work that you do all year. Uh, For the live audience, stay tuned for more from the front lines on WVOX 1460 AM. And for the podcast, please, uh, podcast audience, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.